Thank you, Lee Choir and Orchestra, for that song. If you'll take your Bibles and uh, turn in them with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the 28th chapter. In a moment, we'll be reading our text from verses 18 uh, to 20. A couple things real quick. First, I want to thank Brother David Huff for preaching for me last week. Uh, I had a number of you come up and say, when are you leaving again so David can speak? Uh, he did a great job last week, and I told you he would. Uh, I love Brother David and appreciate his ministry, and I knew he would do a great job preaching. Thank you for filling in last week. Uh, I told Keith before he came up to pray a minute ago, I said, you know, it's funny. Uh, being here this morning could not be any different than where I was last Sunday. I, w I wish I could transport you guys to the Baptist church in Costanza where we were. Uh, it, it's hard to even fathom. Uh, this grand and glorious, beautiful sanctuary. Uh, what a special place of worship. Uh, last Sunday, we were in a couple of churches that really, in some ways, just hardly standing. And uh, y'all sitting in nice, fancy padded pews. Uh, they're sitting in white plastic lawn chairs. They didn't have a choir and orchestra playing behind them, but they sang heaven down. And uh, I had to preach through an interrupter. Y'all know what that is, don't you? Not an interpreter, an interrupter. And, uh, but they sat there patiently listening, and they, they just swallowed up God's Word, like many of you do here, too. And the, the amazing thing to me is this. It doesn't matter where you worship. It really doesn't matter the building, all the things sometimes we get caught up in. The only thing that really matters is if Jesus is there or not. And when he is there, boy, it doesn't matter where you're worshiping. Uh, your heart is filled and uh, God speaks and God moves. So what a joy it was to be there last week. But I will tell you, I'm very glad to be back here uh, this morning. Uh, two weeks ago, I started a series of messages with you entitled Making, Maturing, Multiplying Followers of Jesus, A Study on Biblical Discipleship. Now, that's a, that's a long title for a series of sermons. Uh, I don't normally do that. But the reason for such was uh, because we are in the process of implementing uh, what we understood and presented to you out of the refocus process one of the main focuses of that refocus process was to focus on discipleship. Uh, we brought to you a new mission statement uh, that, again, says making, maturing, multiplying followers of Jesus. And that mission statement speaks to our need and concern to be a disciple-making church. That's the task that has been given to us as God's people. And to keep us on that task, uh, we felt uh, in talking about things, this was, would be a good direction to go for the new year. That's why I'm preaching it to you, and we'll share more about that as we go through it. Our task as a church is to make disciples, but I want you to understand that task does not come from a mission statement. The mission statement that we brought to you as a church is a short sentence to kind of help us stay focused on the task at hand. We've shared that with you. But I have to tell you, and I have to remind all of us, that that mission statement is not our task. Our task comes from a higher authority than a church mission statement. Our task comes from the Lord Jesus himself. And that mission statement that we have presented to you as a church helps us stay focused 
on the task that he has given us as a church, as a believer. And that's why we do what we do. And that's why we're doing this series of messages to help remind us of the task that is before us. Uh, that's what we're going to be looking at and have looked at already in Willie's next few weeks as we go through this series. This morning, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20 will be our focal verses. If you would, as we often do, stand with me in honor of God's Word. I will read our verses out loud. You follow along there in your copy of the Bible. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray you'll help us to understand it. Help us to better see what that means for us, both as an individual follower of you and as a church that you have commissioned uh, to make disciples. Help us to see our need personally and help us to see our responsibility as a church. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Hey, those of us who are true followers of Jesus are to be known as disciples disciples of Christ and as I shared with you two weeks ago the early believers were known as disciples a long time before they were even known as Christians such must be true of followers of Jesus today and then we find that not only were they known as disciples Jesus when he gave the commission great commission to his church his followers he commanded them and by the way commanded us to go and make disciples of all the nations. So if we as followers of the Lord Jesus and as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ are to make disciples as we have been commanded, then it's very important that we both know what a disciple is, what a disciple is to do, and how to go about the task of fulfilling that great commission that has been given to us. And that's the purpose of this series. I think, particularly as Baptists, we're so familiar with that section of verses, we just kind of gloss over it, and it, the impact of it maybe doesn't grab us like it should. So we're going to talk about that. What does that look like? What does that mean? Two weeks ago, I began that series by stating an obvious observation that gets overlooked. You can't make a disciple if you're not a disciple. And there are a whole lot of folks in the church today that don't make disciples because they've never been made a disciple. They're not born again. They've never been saved. Might be a church member. They may consider themselves religious. But they've never been born by the Spirit of God. Never come to salvation. And folks, there's no way in the world you make a disciple if you're not a disciple. Uh, we looked at Nicodemus and the story of how this religious man came to Jesus and asked about salvation. And Jesus said to him, a religious man, you must be born again. And folks, same thing's true for you. Same thing's true for me. So I hope maybe after that message, you looked seriously and you asked yourself and examined yourself. Have I ever truly been born of God? Have I been born again? Have my, has my life been changed by Jesus? 
And once that has happened, then we put ourselves in a place where we can begin to be the disciple maker that Jesus has called us to be. Uh, this morning, I want to continue by uh, doing two things. I want to define discipleship for you, and I want to describe discipleship. I want to define the word disciple, and I want to describe what that really means. And I want to do it in a unique way that I think will be very helpful to you. And to be honest with you, I find very, very interesting. So let me start with a definition of disciple or a definition of discipleship. Uh, if, if you think back to the time of Jesus, the people in the time of Jesus well knew what a disciple was and what it meant. All through the Roman world, which Israel certainly would have been a part of that in those days. The Roman world was filled with teachers and philosophers who gathered students and or their followers around them and learned of their teachings. Such were called disciples back then. Uh, you think about even before Jesus called his 12 disciples. We know in the scriptures that John the Baptist who was the forerunner of Christ. John the Baptist had his disciples. So when the people in Jesus' day heard that word disciple, they knew what Jesus was talking about. I'm not sure we do in our culture uh, today. Traditionally, the word disciple has been defined to mean a student or a learner. However, it's interesting to note that the Lord Jesus took this concept much deeper and he used it to speak of those who seriously would follow after him. The word disciple comes from a Greek word that means thought accompanied by endeavor. Therefore, that word disciple, as it's used in the New Testament, uh, means not only that we become a learner or a student, as one would go to a classroom and learn lessons, or one who might sit down and listen to the master who is teaching them. But Jesus took it even deeper. It meant more than just a learner, though a disciple must be a learner. Uh, one of the tools that I have used for many, many years in ministry has been a book entitled Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, written by W.E. Vine. Uh, Dr. Vine does an excellent job of taking the Greek meaning of New Testament words and explaining their meaning in depth. Uh, he says in his book, disciple denotes one who follows the teaching of another. But then he goes on to explain that a disciple was not only a pupil, now listen, but an adherent. Hence, they are spoken of as imitators of their teacher. They learned from their teacher, but they also became an imitator of their teacher. And this is why these early disciples of Jesus were called Christians. Because the world said of them, they were like Jesus. In fact, the literal meaning of the word Christian is Christ one or little Christ. So those early followers of Jesus so adhered to the teaching of their master that they looked like Jesus. And the world could say, there goes a little Christ, Christian. And folks, that's what we as a church and as followers of Jesus have been commanded to make. 
Now stop and think about that a minute. That's what Jesus commanded us to do. And I have to ask, let's ask First Baptist Church of Noonan. Are you as a church, as, are we as a church, are we making that type of follower of Christ through our programs, through our ministries? And folks, this church has got a boatload of them. I'm amazed. Y'all see how many announcements are in this thing? We got bunches of programs. That's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. It's just reality. But let me ask, what are those programs doing? What are these studies doing? What are these events doing? Are they helping us become a disciple? Are they better making us Christ ones? Are they helping you and me to become little Christ? That's what this whole matter of being a disciple is all about. That is what the church has been commanded to do. And that's why we're looking at this series to evaluate everything that we are doing as a church to see if our task is being met to make disciples of all the nations. And where we find that it is not. If this church wants to make an impact for the kingdom in the days to come, we're going to have to change things. It's not about just going to a meeting or a program. Those things can be helpful. Please don't misunderstand me. But folks, if you go to a program at church and it doesn't make you better for Jesus, if it doesn't make you more like Christ, then we've missed the boat somewhere. If all that we do as a church is not helping us to conform our lives to be more like Christ, are we really fulfilling the Great Commission that Christ has given us the definition of disciple? A learner, yes, but an inherent who makes their life become more like the Master. Imitators of Jesus. That's what we have before us, and that's the challenge of making disciples. The definition of disciple. A second point this morning, don't, 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 don't be fooled by the shortness of just two points in my message. Uh, you'll see why in a minute. But this is good. Hey, this is real good. Let me, let me give you the description of a disciple. The description of, of a disciple given to us by Jesus uh, throughout his ministry. Uh, I think it's interesting to point out that as you study through the New Testament, you will find that Jesus uh, gave numerous illustrations to his followers to describe and illustrate for them the spiritual truth that he was trying to teach them. I mean, Jesus was the master teacher. And he would use all types of descriptive words and illustrations to get his message across to those who were following him and to those who were listening to him. For example, John 7, verses 37 and 38. You don't need to turn there. Let me just read it for you. Scriptures are on the screen. Now, on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now, to us in our culture today, where you can walk into your kitchen or your bathroom and turn on a faucet, a spigot, and get water, 
We, we don't understand the significance of living water. Maybe we don't understand the importance of living water. But in that culture of Israel, in that day, living water was vital. It's a desert climate. It, they, they, you couldn't find living water everywhere. Living water is moving water, fresh water. And Jesus explaining how he was the only one that could give real meaning to life and real purpose in life. He, he stands up and he uses an illustration that everybody would get in that culture. Everybody understood the importance of living water. So Jesus is saying here, he, he alone was the source of true life-giving living water. Like water is essential in a desert land, so Jesus is essential for life and life abundant on this earth. Boy, this world's in a mess, isn't it? People have gone off the hook. People, many, hopeless, living godless lives without purpose, without focus, miserable lives. And they wonder why. They've tried to fill the thirst of their soul with everything but the right thing. There's only one thing that will fill a life. Only one thing that will give purpose. Only one thing that will give meaning, and that's Jesus. And if he's not in your soul, if you're not feeding yourself with his life-giving water, there's no meaning for life for you. Certainly not in the life to come. So Jesus stands and he declares, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. From your innermost being will flow life. They understood through the illustration what Jesus meant. Think about the parables in the New Testament. Many, many parables. Jesus often spoke in parables. Uh, if you went to Matthew's Gospel, the 13th chapter, there Jesus gives the parable of the sower and the seed. And he, Jesus, spoke of many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and birds came up and ate them. And then he goes down a long list of, of different ways the seed goes out and what happens to that seed. And then you come to verses 18 and 19 of Matthew 13, and Jesus begins to explain the parable. He says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has sown in the heart. This is the one on whose seed it was sown beside the road. And then he goes on to give further explanation. He uses symbols, pictures, types to explain spiritual truth. Seed. Seed here in this case is the Word of God. And anytime God's Word's given out, God's seed is sent out. The sower. The sower is anyone who takes the seed of the Word and gives it out. In this case, the bird, the devil, wants to snatch away that seed so it can't take root in the heart and change it. Jesus taught in symbol. Jesus taught in illustration. Jesus taught in types to get across spiritual truth. Now, I exaggerate that for a moment simply because that's what we find when we think about this matter of disciple. In fact, when you follow the ministry of Jesus, there are three symbols given to us by Jesus that describe, define, and detail for us what it really means to be a true follower of Christ. 
It, it, it talks about and defines, uh, illustrates for us what it really means to be his disciple. Three symbols that describe it in detail. And when you understand these symbols that Jesus gave us, it means, it, it just explodes the whole meaning of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You ready for them? Here they are. I'm going to give you all three of them. First one, I'm going to spend the most time on this morning. The last two, I'll deal with quickly. Number one symbol, the yoke. The yoke. Not a yoke of an egg. We'll find out what kind of yoke in a minute. Second symbol was the towel. A towel. Third symbol is the cross. And those three symbols Jesus used to explain to his followers what it really meant to be his disciple. Let's deal with them for a few moments. Number one, the yoke. The yoke. Now, uh, we don't think about this very often because how many of you use a yoke this week at, at your house? Anybody? I did not use one last week, but we saw one up in the Dominican Republic because they don't, they don't farm with tractors up there. They farm with horses and mules and and all that gear. I don't even know what to call some of that stuff. Uh, I'm a city boy. I grew up on the asphalt. I don't, I don't know about these things. I had to study to tell you what I'm about to tell you. But our problem in our culture is we read verses like I'm about to read and we just kind of skim over it because it doesn't mean anything to us. And when you do that, you get in trouble because you miss a whole lot of what Jesus is trying to teach us. He uses a yoke to describe for us discipleship and what it means to be a disciple. Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, we read these words. Come to me, Jesus said, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And most of the time we read those words, we don't have a clue what a yoke is, so we just go on flying past it and don't stop to realize the significance of what Jesus is saying. Let me see if I can help you with that this morning. It's real interesting to note that the word translated learn used in verse 29 comes from the same Greek word that is often translated disciple disciple. In fact, this verse, verse 29, could rightly be translated this way. This is, this is really good. This is what Jesus is saying. Take my yoke upon you and become my disciple. In other words, we must put on his yoke if we are to follow him as his disciple. So if I had to put that on to be a disciple, what in the world is a yoke? And what does that mean? Well, again, I had to do a little digging on this. Uh, yoke would have been a very familiar term to people in, in Jesus' day. They understood what it was. They used them all the time. A yoke in the context of what Jesus was speaking of was a carved wooden frame designed to join two animals together for work. They would then put their strength together 
for accomplishing the work that the farmer was endeavoring to do. Typically, two oxen would share one yoke. And again, listen, this is real good. One of the oxen would be older and trained by years and routine in service. The other would be younger and more experienced. But by sharing the same yoke, they not only would benefit from each other's strength, the older oxen would be training the younger oxen for the work. And that's why Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and be my disciple. Learn from me. Now, that's filled with all type of metaphorical meaning, pointing to the truth of all that Jesus wanted us to understand about being his disciple. In fact, when you think about that yoke, I think that symbol implies at least four different things. Number one, that symbol of the yoke implies submission. You can't wear the yoke of another for it to be used properly if you don't learn submission. In fact, W.E. Vine, again in his commentary, he says the yoke is used metaphorically for submission to authority. Another writer said the yoke is designed to curb the will and bring under control. Applied to our lives, a disciple of the Lord Jesus must learn submission to his master. In fact, it is only as we learn to submit to Jesus as his disciple that we find his strength for life and living. And that's why I have to be yoked to him. Hey, I, I love what Jesus told us one day, John 15, 5. I hope you've learned this truth. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said this, apart from me, you can do nothing. One of the best lessons I ever learned early in my Christian life is this. I cannot live the Christian life on my own. I fail every time I try. You do too. There is absolutely nothing in me, nothing in my flesh, nothing in my ability that enables me to live the Christian life apart from Jesus. Without him, I can do nothing. And by the way, that Greek word nothing means nothing. Can't do a thing without him. And if you try to do it in your own strength, you will fall flat on your face spiritually. But then Paul one day reminded us of this as he understood this whole matter of walking with Jesus. He said, but I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And folks, in my flesh, I can do nothing for Christ, but when I'm yoked together with him, I can do all things through him. That's why I need to be yoked to Jesus. That's what it means to be his disciple. First of all, yoke means submission. Secondly, it means service. If you think about the yoke, it implies, it means service. John Phillips in his commentary said, Take my yoke upon you, Jesus said. Once we are saved, we are called to be harnessed to him, to work alongside of him. He does not force his yoke upon us. The Lord invites us to come and to share in his great work in this needy world, to get in step with him, to be his helpers as though he needed our help. 
What an amazing invitation and how few there are who respond. What greater privilege could there be in all the world than to be yoked to Christ, to be shoulder to shoulder with him, to take each step with him in service. Hey, you've been saved to serve. That's part of what's wrong with the modern church today. We, we got churches full of people who think the Christian life is nothing more than coming to sit for an hour on Sunday, go through the motions of church, walk out those back doors and never do a thing for the kingdom. And then we wonder why the church is so weak, why it's not making a difference. When you're yoked together with Jesus, you're faithful in service, not in your strength, in his strength. But God uses you for his kingdom's sake to accomplish the work that he's put you on this earth to do. Uh, this past week, we were in the Dominican Republic. Uh, Frank and I had the privilege of going up and teaching these pastors. That's my heart. That's what I love doing the best when I can pour into the life of these guys who are ministering up there. Well, that's my sweet spot. I love doing that. But we carry with us, and in fact, we were, the guy that was leading the group uh, was a former member of mine at church in Valdosta. His name is Roger Sims. That probably doesn't mean anything to you, but Roger, Roger is a good old country boy. He is a good old South Georgia redneck is what he is. I thought I was going to have to interpret Roger so his interpreter could interpret him so that he would know what to say. That's how redneck Roger is. Roger got right with Jesus a number of years ago, and God gave him the gift of, of the evangelist. It's amazing. I've, I've been with Roger really all over the world. Roger can, I, I kiddingly say this, I hope you understand this, he can witness to a signpost and win it to Jesus. Uh, it's amazing. We're, he's on the plane flying from Jacksonville, Florida, Miami to meet the rest of the team so we can go to the Dominican Republic. Person sitting next to him on the plane, he leads him to Jesus. While we're down there in, in the Dominican Republic, Roger can't speak Spanish. He can say about as much as I can. Oh, come on, star, see uno, dos, tres, cuatro. That's about all we know. You don't even know some of that, do you? Without knowing the language, I've watched Roger lead dozens of people to Jesus. A redneck from South Georgia. You know why? He decided to let Jesus use him. God uniquely equipped him. And Roger's not happy unless he's doing something for Jesus. That's what it means to be yoked with Christ. Roger didn't do it in his own strength. He'd be the first one to tell you that. He's never led a person to Jesus. But Jesus has led people to Jesus through him because he's yoked together with Christ. That's what it means to take up his yoke. Submission, service, it means obedience. When you think about the yoke, it symbolically teaches obedience. A person under the yoke must give obedience to the one controlling the yoke. In essence, there must be obedience to the one that they are yoked with. There's a mutual obedience that comes. When we are yoked together with Jesus, it means obedience to his wishes. That's 
what Jesus said in the Great Commission. Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. You, you, you do realize, don't you, you can learn the Bible inside out. You can know every fact there is in the Bible to know. But if you're not walking in obedience to it, it doesn't mean a thing in your life. Amen? Ooh. Some of y'all not so sure. Well, let me answer it. Amen. It's not the learning that's important. And learning is important. But it's obeying what you've learned. And if I'm yoked with Jesus, the proof is I walk in obedience as he speaks to our hearts. It also means humility. When you think about being yoked to Christ, that yoke is symbolic of humility. It takes humility to be yoked together with him. It takes humility to be obedient. It takes humility to serve. It takes obedient and humility to be submitted. Um, you know, our old flesh don't like those things, does it? We, we, we want to say, we might not say these words outwardly, but inwardly when we, when we read some of the commands of Jesus and some of the demands of Jesus, we, we read through those things and people think about sometimes the Christian life and they go, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want to have to obey all those rules for living. I don't, I, I don't want somebody else controlling my life. I want to control my life. Oh, here's one in our culture. I don't need anybody to help me. Oh, yeah, you do. That's why you're in the mess you're in. Hey, you get yoked together with Jesus, and all of a sudden you've got a strength you never had before. You've got a presence that you've never had before. You've got a purpose and a meaning in life you've never had before. But that won't come until you have taken up his yoke. And you know, I love what it says. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The lost world looks in there and goes, I don't want all those rules. The Christian who's put on the yoke of Jesus looks at it and says, Lord, here's my life, lead me. And they find out how easy, fulfilling, meaningful it actually becomes. Take my yoke upon you and become my disciple. Point number one. Y'all ready for two and three? I can do it in a little while, okay? <laughs> the yoke. Second something Jesus gave to demonstrate, illustrate, to describe what it means to be a disciple is the towel. The towel. Just before Jesus was to die on the cross, he taught his disciples one more very serious lesson about what it meant to be a true disciple of Christ. Jesus gathers his disciples in an upper room somewhere in the old city of Jerusalem. There they took the Passover meal uh, together. It was at this Passover meal that Jesus instituted what we now know today to be the Lord's Supper or a communion. But there was something more important being taught to those disciples than just the Lord's Supper or communion. Jesus was teaching them about the importance of service and ministry as his disciple. 
We pick up the story in John 13, verses 1 to 17. I'm not going to read the entire story for you. I'll read just a few select verses. John 13, verses 1 to 5. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own, and were in this world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God, was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, girded himself and poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. The lesson of the towel. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He goes on to explain in verses 12 to 17, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And then Jesus taught this group of men. He'd been trying to teach it to them the entire time he was with them. That one of their greatest callings as a disciple, as a follower of his was service and ministry to those around them. The lesson of the towel. You know, folks, it's really pretty simple when you stop and think about it. We've got it wrong in our culture. Too many church members today think Christianity is basically going to church for an hour on Sunday. Sitting in their place for an hour politely listen a few get a nap in there occasionally they go through the motions of a worship service walk out those back doors they think they've done their due and they think they're a Christian and they think they're a disciple do you realize how foolish that is do you realize how wrong that is do you realize how deceived you are that's what you think it means to be a Christian. Before Jesus went to the cross, he taught the lesson of the towel, serving, ministering to others. Can I tell you about the great, one of the greatest Christian disciples that I know today? You, you won't know his name. He's not written any great books. He's not preached any wonderful sermons that I'm aware of. Uh, in fact, this man never gave huge amounts of money to ministry for the benefit of others. He just knew how to use the towel. When I was doing youth work many years ago, if I had a youth that needed to go on a trip that did not have money, Mr. Buddy Timmerman was one of the first ones that would, in fact, I didn't have to ask. He brought money to me and said, can you use it for whoever has a need? We had any type of event at the church. We just needed volunteers to serve or to clean up. Mr. Buddy was the first one to put on a towel and help. If we had any need around that church, he was the first one to serve. But he did not preach sermons. In fact, he didn't like to get in front of people. 
And by the way, let me say, I meant to say this to start with, he's a big man. You can take me and Frank, put us together and double us. And that was about the size of Mr. Buddy Timmerman. One of the biggest men I've ever seen in my life. He was full of Jesus. He didn't preach sermons, but he did teach a Sunday school class. I don't know how many times I watched big Mr. Buddy. I'd go by his Sunday school class, look in his window, and I see Mr. Buddy on the floor reading the Bible to two and three-year-olds in his Sunday school class using the towel of ministry. I watched him for five years as I served that church. I do not know of a finer Christian man than Buddy Timmerman. He knew how to use the towel. He was a true disciple of the Lord Jesus. Folks, do you, do you realize how much a church could change if we all understood that lesson? Do you understand the radical difference that would come to a church family if everybody in that church took seriously the call of a disciple to minister and serve those that you come in contact with every day of your life? It would radically change the world. And that's what those early disciples did as Jesus sent them out. That's what they did after he left. The yoke, the towel, I'll close with the third symbol, the cross, the cross. I, I don't guess there's a greater symbol for Christianity in our world than the cross. Many people wear crosses, which is fine. Uh, don't leave Jesus on that cross, by the way, if, if you wear one. He's not on the cross. He's, he's resurrected in heaven. He's not on the cross. But many people wear crosses. And it, it is a symbol. But do you really know what that cross was intended to mean? And do you really want to know what Jesus taught his disciples about being a disciple by the cross? Here's two verses of scripture that he gave, Luke 9, verse 23. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily. How about this one? Luke 14, 27. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Sounds pretty serious to me. I probably ought to know what it means. What does the cross mean? Three things. Here they are quickly. Number one, it means suffering. Well, we don't like that. In the Roman world of that day, the most gruesome form of punishment was to put somebody on a cross to die. Um, everyone in the world of Jesus knew when Jesus said, take up your cross. He was speaking of the potential and the possibilities of suffering. And hey folks, as a disciple of Jesus, we may well have to suffer for the gospel. But we ought to be so committed to Jesus that we're willing to suffer for him if need be. 
there, some, some around here in our culture today say, oh, you go to church, don't you? Well, they start making fun of you because you go to church and all of a sudden you quit going to church because you don't like being made fun of. That's about the worst we get it over here. That's changing in America, by the way. You mark my words down. If America does not have revival for too long, the most hated people in this country are going to be godly Christians. Are you willing to suffer for the gospel? 2 Timothy 3.12 All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Might as well accept it. Don't get morbid about it. Hey, I've been called every name in the book. I hope I'm not called that because of something dumb I do. But if somebody calls me a name because I'm a Follower of Jesus, so be it. I don't care. I really don't care. I've committed my life to him because he's committed his life to me. The cross means suffering. Secondly, the cross means submission. Luke 9, 23, I just read it. He said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. He must deny himself. In our watered-down concept of Christianity today, we've totally lost that. We think the gospel's all about us. Deny yourself. You're going to follow him as his disciple? You're going to have to deny yourself. Hey, folks, this is true of every one of us who's ever walked in. I'm, I'm still doing this. When, when I got serious about my walk with Jesus, there was a whole lot of things I had to deny myself of. Not because I had to, because I wanted to. I was more concerned to follow him than I was what silly thing I was involved in. Suffering, submission. Here's the third thing that the cross means, and I'll close with this. It means death. The Apostle Paul, in trying to describe that, once put these three words together, 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I die daily. The best definition of the Christian life, I think, that's found in the Bible is Galatians 2.20. Listen to what Paul said. I have been crucified with Christ. I've died with him. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what it means to be a true disciple. Of Jesus Christ. So what about it? That's what the church is supposed to be making. That's what it means to be making, maturing, multiplying followers of Jesus. Those who no longer live for themselves. But their heart's desire is to live fully 
for Jesus. And it's through the yoke and through the towel and through the cross, Jesus teaches us the truth of discipleship. Father, thank you for your word. What a challenge is before us through the symbols and images and pictures and types that Jesus used to teach his disciples 2,000 years ago, but yet to teach us today. Forgive us in this 21st century of having such a watered-down concept of our commitment to you, Jesus. Help us to be willing to take up our cross daily and follow you. To be able to say with Paul, I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Lord, help us as a church to be busy making those types of followers of you. For your namesake and for your glory. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If there's never been a time in your life where you've come to the cross of Calvary and you've taken the invitation from Jesus to come and give your life to him. Boy, there's not a better time, better place than right here, right now. And if you've never trusted in Christ, you've never been born again. I can't think of a better time, better place than right here today. In a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. I'll be standing down front to receive you. And as you come, we'll send you back to the back for a moment or two with one of our uh, staff members so they can share with you from God's Word how you can give your life to Christ today. He loved you enough to die on a cross for you. Will you come today and give him your life? Would you respond? And then to us who claim to be Jesus' followers, those of us who claim to be his disciples, how you living? Learn well the lesson of the yoke. The lesson of the towel, the lesson of the cross. And Lord, help us to live it out daily. And we ask it in your name.